You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. So can I welcome you to Oasis Bath this morning? It's really good um, to be together. Um, we're not streaming this morning, but we are uh, making this available as a podcast. Uh, so it'll be available to listen again later and also to share with other people in that way. My name is Ian. My pronouns are he, him and his. And I am the assistant church leader um, here at Oasis Church Bath. And um, as we always say on a Sunday morning, you are very welcome here this morning and we stand by the slogan at the back as come as you are and so we welcome you however you're feeling this morning um, however you're identifying you're very welcome here today it is sofa sunday today um, and the idea on sofa sunday is that we do things just a little bit differently as you can see we're round tables um, and um, eating together but also we have an opportunity to talk to somebody and find out a little bit more information um, about what they do and, um, and what they get up to during the week. Um, often that's somebody from uh, another organisation, uh, another charity in Bath, and we find out a bit more about what's going on uh, with them. Uh, today, however, we're going to be speaking to Lyndon, who is from our church here. And uh, I don't know where Lyndon is actually. I can't. Can you? Oh, he's there. <laughs> no, I thought he was still at the back helping with the refreshments. Um, so we're really pleased that Lyndon is going to share with us some of his um, story this morning. Um, Lyndon, do you want to come and join us on the on the sofa? If that's all right. So the way it works as well today is you've got um, pen and paper on your tables and uh, there might be some questions that you'd like to ask Lyndon. Uh, you're up for some really challenging questions, uh, Lyndon. The, the more challenging, the better I heard. Is that, 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 yeah. yeah, we were going to talk about quantum physics, but discovered that Ian didn't know anything about it. So uh, we've dropped that one. So the idea is you can put your questions on those pieces of paper and then at uh, the middle of the service we'll take those in and we'll ask some of those questions as well. Um, it's really good to have Lyndon uh, on the sofa today answering some of these questions because um, <laughs> Lyndon and I met this week in the coffee shop um, and had a chat about how the service was going to run today and what we, sort of things we were going to talk about. Um, and for those of you who have been in Bath for a long time, you'll know, you know a little bit about the history of Bath. Um, you'll know that you know, obviously we're a Roman city um, and a Georgian city and many people think that the Romans and the Georgians were responsible for building uh, Bath and the architecture in Bath. Um, well, actually, what they forget is that Linden's part of the equation as well. Um, and <laughs> uh, when we were in the coffee shop, um, Linden was saying, see that building over there? I, I converted that. that. That was one of mine over there. And that one over there, that was one of mine. <laughs> I think, basically, you've converted half of Bath, really. That's, that's, that's what I established from that particular yeah, meeting. I was, wasn't around in the Georgian era, but uh, I feel a bit daunted that I'm sat up here because I'm old, but uh, there we are. You put right, basically, though, things that didn't, you know, had worn out from the Georgian period. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's quite true, yes, because a lot of Bath was fairly derelict at one time, and uh, Ian and I talked about that. I had responsibility for restoring most of the shops in Walcott Street and Broad Street, so, yeah, I've seen a lot of buildings in Bath. Yeah. <laughs> How did you come to be in Bath, Lyndon? Right, well, a bit of my history. I'm Welsh, 
grew up in a Welsh mining village of about population of about 6,000. Uh, I had a count up this morning. There were nine churches in that village with 6,000 people. Um, church was suffering a bit because I was born during the Second World War, so uh, people stopped going to church. A lot of people stopped going to church after the war. So I, I grew up in that village, so I grew up in an economy. We had uh, two deep pits and one open cast pit in, in the village, so the whole economy of the village depended upon mining. <clears throat> um, and so it was a, a very socialist and very community-minded upbringing, really. Uh, my maternal grandfather died from a mining accident. My paternal grandfather was the local hairdresser. My father taught in the mining school. So everything was geared around mining. Um, so it was just a good community background and that socialist community background has stuck with me through life. Always been concerned about people and about so social stresses and so on. Um, <clears throat> it's, it was always the hope of people in my village that the children would not go down the mine and work on the coal face. So I managed to escape. Um, I worked for a while, then I came to Bath University at the age of 22 when my department, which was the architecture department, was still in Bristol. So having been heavily involved in the church in South Wales, I hid myself in a big church in Bristol, Kensington Baptist Church, because uh, I didn't really want to get involved, but uh, that didn't work because that's not me at all. So, uh, And then my department moved over to Bath in 1970. I shared a flat in Camden Crescent, and the first Sunday walked down the hill walking past this church and came in through the door and I've been here ever since so that's getting on for 53 years. Um, bit of history about the church, a few years before I came to Bath this church was due to be shut. Uh, the congregation was mainly retired or pensioned old ladies. I think there were there was one wage earner in the congregation, and uh, if it hadn't been, no, sorry, there were three wage earners. If it hadn't been for two fairly feisty ladies who worked for the MOD, who persuaded the Baptist Union to put a, um, a, a student pastor into the church, the church would have closed. That student pastor was Peter Taylor, he came here in 1967 with his wife and two children and started to work in the community. So when I, uh, and he told me later that during his first three, two or three years, he, he conducted nine funerals in the church. So you can see the age of the people. And when I walked through the door, he probably thought that here's somebody who's going to be around a bit longer. So. <laughs> I was welcomed <laughs> <That's certainly true. laughs> with, woke, <laughs> with open arms. Um, the church began to grow. Peter and myself had, again, going back to community, a, uh, 
a calling, if you like, to work with people in the community. Bath at that time was a haven for uh, drug addicts, ex-drug addicts who were being, found it difficult in London and Bristol, so they were hiding out here. It was full of ex-hippies and alcoholics. And gradually we brought those people into the church. So what we're doing now as a church is something that we were actually doing back in the early 70s. It's interesting, isn't it? Because one of the markers of being an Oasis church is to be um, (laughs) involved in social justice and social activity. And like you say, that's been the story of this church across the years that you can remember. Across my time in the church, it wasn't uh, before Peter came. I mean, it was a failing church, basically. Um, Doing things as they were always done, as I was just talking about to somebody. Um... And it, it began to grow. It became a, a church, as we are today, where people came who weren't accepted in other churches. In fact, we used to get people coming here who said they'd been sent here by other churches who said, we don't want you. You go to Hay Hill, they'll accept you. And we did, and we ran after-church cafes. Uh, we owned part of the building at the back, Fountain House. We used to run after-church cafes there which went well on past midnight got quite dangerous sometimes because people were drunk people were uh, off their heads sometimes I on one occasion had a knife pulled on me and on other occasion got coffee coffee cups thrown at me but um, that was the sort of society we were living in Uh, I was saying to Ian there was a guy called Phil Proctor who rented or owned a house on the lower Bristol Road and he was doing a similar thing. He was a Christian. He took in people uh, like the people we were getting here. Um, His house on the lower Bristol Road became known as the Jesus House and he bought all his tenants, if you like, along here. So the church began to grow. But as you can imagine, it was a very odd church. thinking this morning we also attracted some of the Bath eccentrics um, people like Mary Forbes Fraser and a guy called Leslie Wiskin who used to come in with his dog they both used to sit at the back and argue with each other and uh, you'd suddenly hear Leslie say to Mary oh you silly old back shut up and, uh, <laughs> and then we'd get people from our community haranguing the minister so it was you know Quite an interesting church. So the idea that the, our faith inspires action in the community, um, obviously, like I say, it's very important to us at Oasis, but that's gone back and there's a, there's a heritage of that in the time that you've been involved um, and you've seen that sort of evolve as you've been part of the church. Yeah, well, that's been important to me, which is why I've stayed, really. I mean, um, it, that, that's happened throughout the ministry here. Um, as Rob said last week, one or two dodgy ministers, but uh, and uh, but generally, uh, involvement with society has been quite strong. We we ran meals for the homeless for a very long time. We helped with the bar soup run quite a bit, um, and we've always done things like that. So for me, it's great to see this being. Uh, carried on by this church under Oasis. I love the fact that people, well I love the fact that I hate it all at the same time, I love the fact that people said that they sh- people could come to Hayhill Baptist Church because 
they'd be accepted and they'd be welcomed here. And the, 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 mm. But I, I hate it all the same time because that shouldn't be the case. It should be the case no, that everybody is accepted everywhere. Um, but that, again, sort of continues today. And I feel it's the same still happening. still yeah. exists, that people yeah. come here yeah. because they, they haven't found that they've been accepted mm. in other places. And um, so that, that's very much a sort of heritage of what you've yeah. been talking about. Yeah. Um, the, the floor which you're sitting on is quite significant as well because um, this is one of um, Lyndon's projects. Mm. <laughs> um, when you came to the building, it was very different. We're talking about renovating the building now, but it was, it was very different when you came to the building um, in the 70s. Well, if you, you can imagine, the, the church was down at the ground floor level. So it was a huge barn. These are the only windows. Um, and we had a, a very dark and dreary basement and uh, we decided because the uh, the meetings were increasing and the young people's uh, work was increasing we need to do something to the basement the only two toilets were in those horrible vaults under the under the pavement so we did up the basement we put toilets in the kitchen and the storeroom and used it and when we got to the end of that people started to say, well, why are we stopping here? Why don't we do some more? And the, the natural answer was, well, we haven't got any money. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, people decided to uh, look at converting the building and I drew up a set of plans, which is the building as you see it today. And um, we waited, we were expecting a new pastor, John Farron, I think 1983. So we waited for him to come. He was happy with the, uh, the proposals. And um, we start, we finished work, I think, in 1985. And in the interim period, we moved along the road to what was then the Countess of Huntington Church, which had just been abandoned by the Countess of Huntington organization. So we, we did this in 19. 85 absolutely gutted the building totally um, although it was a listed building we got permission to do that so what and we kept some of the old stuff like the balcony front which was the front of the previous balcony which is was at this level that you sat on now so this is a new balcony here though that it's right, a new balcony right, uh, but the old balcony front and the woodwork behind was from the old pulpit, so we kept one or two of the things. And the balcony was this level <coughs> here, so we were yeah. on the level that we're sitting on now, that was the balcony. Initially we put the pews back, but we, uh, because there were still quite a few people who felt attached to them, if you like, <laughs> but eventually we got rid of the pews. Mm. So it's interesting sort of charting the, the history of the building and also the history of the church as well. You were telling me as well that not only did you do work on the inside of the building, but also on the outside of the building. Um, and oh, yeah. <laughs> when you told me about the outside of the building, and I, I sort of suggest you might do this as well at the end of the service. Um, when I walked back from the coffee with you, um, I went to have a look at the, the, the front of the building. I was ah, okay, that's what he means. So just explain about the front of the building as well. During the Bath Blitz of 1942, uh, the pinnacle on the right-hand side of the church, if you look at it, the top was blown off. So that was capped with lead, and then, <clears throat> I can't remember the date, but it was prior to the conversion of the building, we realised that the left-hand pinnacle and the cross in the middle was a bit dodgy as well. So two of us, uh, 
hired a huge cherry picker, which we parked in the Paragon and shut the traffic down and cut the top off the left-hand one and took the cross down from the middle. Now, the cross was a stone cross about this big. Nearly uh, collapsed the bucket when we dropped it in. And if you want to see them, they're in my back garden. So, uh, <clears throat> and so both sides are capped off at the same level and the crosses have disappeared. Mm. So have a look when you go out in the building and just cross over the road and you'll see exactly, oh yeah, that's where the cross used to be on the top of the building. And yeah. that was just, just before the services, people were coming in. Um, <laughs> you were up there, up there on the cherry picker, mm. sorting that out. Mm. Yeah, excellent. Um, moving forwards, um, so you've obviously had the sort of history of, of um, Hayhill Baptist Church over those sort of 50 years and, and, uh, and now... Um, we're in a different phase in terms of moving forward with Oasis uh, as part of the, our, our story moving forward. Um, how has that been, seeing the change from Hayhill to Oasis for you? Well, it's been wonderful because, as I said, it's uh, reviving in some ways the, you know, the social impact that we had in the 1970s. Uh, and it's great to see it being done more thoroughly and at a big organisation and more successfully mm -hmm. and reaching more people. So that's been wonderful. And uh, it it's also applies, of course, to... I mean, I got, got very involved with young people in the church, so like yourself, you know, I was a youth leader here for many years. Um, I met my wife here, we got married here in 1973 and set up a, uh, a youth club, um, something like 40 children, 40 youngsters, none of them from the church, they were all from Snow Hill and Lark Hall, so it was a pretty rough youth club, and in fact the church children that came along didn't survive, so, uh, <laughs> we, you know, and, and we had a great time, we used to take them out to raft races on the canal. Or we, we, we used to be uh, frowned upon because we were a little church in the local Baptist Union. They used to run a big swimming gala every year, which we always won <laughs> okay. because we had some very good swimmers in our youth club. So I always interested in youth work and uh, uh, it's nice to see that continuing as well. Um, until recently we had Youth for Christ upstairs. I was worked with them for about 30 years as a volunteer. Um, so, you know, I, I'm delighted with what's happening now. Um, particularly, you know, having been in, in the early days on the leadership team here for something like 20 years. Um, I've given, well, I've come back as a trustee now, which may not be the right thing, but uh, uh, I'm delighted to see the way the church is going, and hopefully if we do get round to adapting the building again, then we'll be able to serve more areas of the community. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And you've been a church member um, of the church for um, many of those years. I think I became a member in 73, yeah. Yeah. Why, why, is church, why is church membership... I mean, we, we, we say come as you are and anybody can be part of yeah. the church, but church membership is, is significant still, isn't it? I think in those days it was um, 
expected that you became a church member if you were going to be involved, but it's a, I think it's the element of commitment. It does, to me, show that you have a commitment to the church, I think. Uh, and apart from getting involved with volunteering and so on, the one way you can show that commitment is by becoming a member, um, because that does put uh, a number of obligations on you. Um, and I, I think that's a way of showing that you're willing to be more involved than somebody who just turns up on a Sunday. Thank you. So if, if anybody would like to explore what church membership looks like, um, then do speak to one of the leadership team and we can, we can talk about that. But of course, um, everybody's welcome to be mm. here on a Sunday morning, regardless yeah, as to whether you're a member of the church mm. or not. Um, we'd want to emphasise that. Um, we talked the other day about um, deconstruction. I mean, the, um, um, <laughs> obviously, you've deconstructed a lot of buildings and reconstructed <laughs> a lot of buildings in your time in Bath. Um, but in terms of your faith and how that's evolved as well and how that's changed, um, we talk about deconstructing our faith and, and what, what, what emerges as a result of that. Um, I'm, you, the way we talked the other day, your, your faith has changed over those years and you've seen that sort of change and, and, and revolve and, uh, and, and evolve and, and, and change across those years? Yeah, well, those like me, like probably Gaynor and Claire who grew up in Wales in, in earlier days, grew up in a background where any sort of enjoyment was a sin, so to speak. And, uh, um, you know, you weren't allowed to go to the cinema or the dance hall or uh, go to the pub. Uh, greatly frowned upon, particularly in my time. Did you sneak uh, there anyway? If, if you're honest, I mean, it's okay, you're amongst friends now. Did I you used <laughs> to sneak off school to play snooker in the Workingman's Institute. Um, I didn't go to the pub, actually. I wasn't really interested. I'm not a pub person, but I did go to the cinema. Um, I was saying to Ian, it's ironic that uh, uh, recently, back from 2004 to 2015, I've been trustee of the restoration of the Workingmen's Institute and the Art Deco Cinema and Ballroom in, uh, in my own village. Um, the place that was the den of iniquity in my youth. <laughs> so people would be turning in their graves that I've actually restored the <laughs> cinema and dance hall. So, uh, so that's... Uh, and that's what it was like. And I, I've had to, like a lot of people, I've struggled with that and struggled with the fact that, um, you know, everything in the Bible is, is absolutely true. Strange, I, I first, in my village, I, I went to the congregational church and it's ironic that uh, we, as a family, or my father and I, because my mother died when I was nine, so it was mainly my father and I left the Congregational Church when it became the URC, because their statement of faith didn't say categorically uh, that the Bible was infallible. Um, so that's something I've had to <laughs> mm -hmm. sort out over the last 15, 20 years. Um, and I was t ticking through, as I said earlier, the, the fact that there were nine churches in the village and one of them was Christiadelphian Church. And um, I thought, what do they believe? And they, of course, are Unitarians who don't believe in the Trinity but believe intrinsic intrinsically in the Bible. 
And I thought, how do they balance those two things? And that, that's the sort of attitude that there was when I grew up. So it's a big challenge from, from your past, but what was, what was quite a conservative church at the time. Um, extremely conservative. Extremely conservative <laughs> yeah. church at the time. And, yeah. and how you've had to sort of um, re-evaluate that and, and sort of think, well, how, actually, how do I feel about things now? What were those things that, that the past yeah, that I mean, I've had to re-evaluate? Um, inclusion would have been an absolute no-no in, in my churches in South Wales. I moved to a Baptist church later from the Congregational Church. Um, and they they were not accepting of anyone who was outside the, shall we call it, the Christian norm or even the social norm. At so the time, to yeah. come from that to where I am now, um, I'm prepared to... Uh, yeah, I've still got a few hang-ups, I have to admit. It's very difficult to get rid of all, all that indoctrination from the past, but um, I've gradually accepted and uh, learned to accept that uh, I, I've got to be more accepting. So, mm -hmm. Our past does affect us, and the, the things that we've been taught in the past, it does play in our brains, and play, oh, yeah, those stories yeah. do play, and it does take, yeah. um, it is a challenge sometimes. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's good to hear how you've been able to sort of you know, work through that and, and work through some of that sort of baggage of the past. And, and, and many of us are on, have been on that journey of sort of uh, working through what it means to, um, to rethink and reevaluate re things. Um, you're, I know you're, what, what inspires me about your story is that, um, that the past is really important to you and the past, and I, I sense the past um, from here at Hayhill Baptist Church, the past has been really significant for you. Um, but you're also very enthusiastic about the current and the future as well. Um, so it's, 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 sometimes it's very easy to look back with rose-tinted glasses, but what I sense with you is that you're actually really, really um, excited about the forward direction as well. Yes. Um, you know, we, the, the, the sort of, we are talking about this earlier, the, um, the sort of idea that that's the way we've always done it and or we've tried that before and it doesn't work, just doesn't appeal to me at all. I think uh, society changes, churches changes, so you've always got to be ready to adapt. Um, and uh, I think I've done that since I came here in 1970. For, you know, the people that we were attracting to the church then would have been totally unacceptable in the church I came from in South Wales. So, you know, I learned to adapt fairly quickly and in many ways have ha had to adapt through the various ministries that I sat through at this church because every ministry is different and you might say to yourself, oh, I don't like that aspect of what this guy is saying, but, you know, you, you then say, well, he's got a right to say it, so I'll think about that. And very often you think, yeah, well, okay, he's right, you know, and I've got to change my attitude. And uh, also I think yeah, I came from a very community-minded socialist background and that hasn't changed. So I, I care about people and um, it doesn't matter to me whether people are, well, it does matter to me that people are Christians, but it doesn't matter to me in my interaction with people whether they're Christians or not. Um, I'm not a Bible 
thumper. And uh, I'd rather think that what I do influences, may have some influence on people and make them think further about their life, about their spirituality, about Christianity. And I was saying to Ian, that applied to the youth club that Fiona and I used to run. We used to, for years and years after that finished, uh, mainly finished because our children came along, um, we used to meet kids from the youth club in town. They were, they were never going to be uh, high flyers, you know, coming from, no, I shouldn't say coming from Snow Hill, but you know what I mean. Um, but we used to meet them as shop assistants or road sweepers or whatever, and they'd always stop and chat and talk about their family and talk about the youth club. So, you know, you're sowing seeds all the time, and I think that's, that's very important. I love the fact that you were championing inclusion before we even were talking about inclusion. So it's just been part of your, it's been part of your story all the way yeah. through, really, hasn't yeah. it? So the, yeah. the onward journey of, of Oasis is, mm. is, is, in some ways, not as big a step, perhaps, as the, the step from your, your church in Wales was to come into Bath, well, really. Because yeah, it's, it was a big step. Continued right? journey. If you get somebody who appears on church doorstep who is obviously drunk, um, you know, what do you do? Would you say, well, this is unacceptable. We don't want somebody drunk in the church. And you had to adapt to that and say, well, you know, it's a Christian church. Come on in, sit at the back, don't make too much noise. <laughs> don't sing too much. Don't bring too many dogs in. We, we had awful problems with dogs. Uh, we, we ran meals for the homeless in the time when every homeless person had a dog. And first of all, we allowed them in the building, but they made such a mess that we got them to tie them up to the railings outside and then the neighbourhood started to complain that they couldn't walk along the Paragon because there were too many nasty dogs. So <laughs> we actually had to stop the meals for the homeless because of the dogs. But, uh, I love the stories. Though. I mean, this, is, this is part of the sort of messy... Um, when we talk about the messy hour at the moment, church, but the, the messy yeah. church, the yeah. fact that actually things are not nice and neat and um, things can be challenging and things are not always... Um, black and white when it comes to uh, decision making and, and how you do things and you have to adapt as you go along um, it's been really good Lyndon to find out a bit more about your story I, I, I hope other people have enjoyed hearing some of that story as well um, sometimes we, I mean, we, we interact on a weekly basis but we don't always get to hear everybody's story and their, their background and, and what they're involved in today as well um, so it's really good to have this opportunity to do that we're going to take a break um, for 10 minutes and this is a good chance to recharge your tea and coffee if you'd like to. Um, and also on the tables, there are some uh, paper and pen. Um, and the idea is that you can write down a question for Lyndon. Um, so if there's something that um, we haven't answered this morning, you'd like an answer to that, or just to uh, find out Lyndon's opinion on something, <laughs> make them nice and difficult. Um, and <laughs> we'll, we'll ask those questions um, in a few moments. So we'll have a break first of all, and then we'll come back and ask those questions. Thanks, Lyndon. Okay, of all the Sofa Sundays that I've been involved in in the past, I think this is the most questions <laughs> that have come. Uh, so that's, that's a bit that's daunting, yeah. <laughs> uh, some really good questions. Um, just before we get into the questions here, um, one of the other things we talked about during the week um, was the fact that when I was, uh, well, I trained for um, ministry in, um, in Manchester, and one of the things that was significant in Manchester was the, um, the community were very much 
um, involved in campaigning, protesting. If anything was um, was was up in the community, the community would join together and really uh, get involved in, in those campaigns. And that's really stuck with me um, through the years in terms of when we, when we moved from there to Worcester and um, uh, the local park was about to be, be closed down and, and at the time I, was, I still had my Manchester head on and I was like, okay, quick, we'll rally everybody together, we're going to get the placards out and we're going to protest around the park. And I realised that there wasn't the enthusiasm quite in the same way in, in Worcester that there was in Manchester, but it really stuck with me, that sort of... Um, background um, that I got from from being in Manchester and and you were saying Lyndon that that's been um, part of your story as well being in in Bath as well and 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 standing up for people and for rights and for, and for things yeah I, th I think it strangely it only works I think on a on a smaller level um, as I say I was at university in the 60s um, I didn't get involved in the student riots in the Sorbonne in Paris, but I was a student representative on the University Council and there were several protests at that time. Um, I got heavily involved in a bit of a laugh really in the in Bath City's against Bath City's move to shut up all the public toilets. <laughs> we did win a slight battle on that but uh, and, and also the, the battle in our area about the um, they were going to drop the buses to one an hour when it was four an hour but we we actually won that battle that we sounds like it's have, come round again doesn't it <laughs> yeah no we still have four buses an okay, hour so good. it worked you're lucky um, so I think protesting is useful I, I think part of the problem is that people spend a lot of time protesting about things that they can't possibly change. And uh, I'm probably going to get slammed for this, but climate change is one, and uh, protesting against poverty is another, because essentially the underlying cause is, is overpopulation, and uh, nothing you can do about that. But I get the impression that actually, yes, you've been involved in sort of campaigning against different issues, but you've also been involved in the solution to some of those issues as well. So some of the lo local things around here, is, it, you, you've, you've been involved in uh, helping to address the poverty issues and things like that across the across the years. And oh yeah, as the churches know, with the um, you know the community pantry and so on. Yes, there are always things you can join in to do that. But um, as I said, the the main issue is overpopulation. I was reading. This week, the population of the world at the moment is 8 billion. 60 years ago, it was 4 billion. So how can you cope with that? You know, it's, uh, it's going to be 10 billion by 2050, apparently. And, and I know uh, if we if we continued this conversation, we'd get on to the po politics as well, and we'd be here for the I'm, rest I'm of the not, hour. Not, so we'll perhaps, no, we'll, we'll, perhaps we'll leave that for another I, time. I but, don't uh, talk about politics, but <laughs> all I'm saying is that, you know, choose what you involve yourself in, and local issues are probably the best things to get involved in because the big national issues, you can't deal with the underlying causes. Okay. I know somebody will come back at me on that. Uh, no, that's good, that's good. Um, I'm gonna go through some of the questions yeah. that we've got here. Um, has there been the apparent pattern of church growing when it returns to outward looking ethos that you describe? Um, no, church growth I think is it is a bit odd because very often the growth of a church will depend upon 
the minister who is here and is his standing in the Christian community and people will come to listen to a minister that suits their uh, suits their ethos, if you like. Um, I mean, Peter Taylor, the one here when I came, was very much involved in the community and that attracted a lot of people. He was followed by a guy called Jeff Fuchs who had a Welsh Presbyterian background who was um, very Welsh in, the, in his outlook and never, nevertheless socially minded. But people came to hear Jeff because of his theology um, next guy was John Farron, who combined both, um, and people came both because of his preaching. A lot of people here know John Farron, and be, because he was um, sensitive to the desire of people here to work in the community. So it changes. I think Partly you've because of the minister who's here. I think you've answered the next question quite well then, which is good. So the next question was, can you tell us a little bit about how the teaching in the church has changed over the, your time? So it sounds like there's been, there's been various different blocks across that time yeah. um, as to how the ministry of the church... There's been a sort of constant thread by the sound of it in terms of the social um, side of the church and the sort of getting involved yeah. in the community. But it's also been strongly Bible-based, um, you know, moving through to Rob's time and... Uh, to where we are now, although we're de deconstructing, it's still very Bible-based. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So rediscovering, we've had this sort of series yeah. recently about reimagining yeah. the Bible, and the and, yeah. uh, Bible's still being very important to mm -hmm. us, but actually exactly. rethinking, how we, rethinking. Um, how we approach it. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you speak about a time when God clearly spoke to you or helped you to wake to make a decision in your life? That's a big question. So <laughs> <laughs> <Interesting laughs> think you that one advance to have thought about. Is there, is, is there a time yeah, when you yeah, can sort of... Well, yes, not, not so much. Uh, I said earlier about influence upon people. I, I, in the latter days of my career, I worked with an awful lot of churches um, doing, doing conversions of churches, extensions to churches, and one Baptist church, which I know Rob will know, and possibly Paul, because they had a football team, was Hillfields Baptist Church in Fishponds in Bristol. Um, they were a Baptist church in a, in a sink estate, as we used to call it, where the, the council put all the tenants that they didn't really want to deal with. And it was run by a, a, a layman called Ken, who was probably in his 60s or 70s, then had 20 or 30 people. But it had an enthusiastic guy called Richard Rycroft, do you remember him, Rob, <laughs> who set up a football team. We used to have a football team here. We got to the finals one year. Did we win? We won. The Bristol Football Shield, or whatever it was. Anyway, Richard set up a football team at Hillfields, and the young people started to come to the church. Um, Ken, who, as I said, was an elderly person, retired, and Richard decided that he would give up his job to, to run the church. Um, so coming to the decision, Fiona and I talked about this and decided that we would support him financially, which we did. 
Um, we gave him our second car because we didn't need it. And uh, Richard took over the church and the church grew. And if you go to that church today, you'll find it's got 200 people in it. Um, it's had 30 baptisms in the last year. So that is what I was regarded as a prompting from God to do something, which um, you couldn't you couldn't escape. You know, you you get you keep getting reminders that yeah, we must do something about Richard. We must do something about Hillfield. They never built the extension, by the way. <laughs> um, they now have a huge marquee in the crowds because it's so big. But you know, God God will prompt me and will prompt you in most peculiar ways and those, and those promptings will get more insistent and uh, just listen to them is all I've got to say really Thank you um, You talked about the building here and the development of the building here we are at a sort of phase of thinking about what the next development of the building might look like here's an interesting one there's just two questions that tie together really if there were no restrictions on budget That'd be nice. Um, and also on planning rules as well. What do you dream, what would your dream makeover be for the church to carry the church forward for the next 40 years? Um, and the next question sort of ties in with it really. What do you see as the biggest challenge for the development of this building? Start with the second one. The, the biggest challenge is, is, to, is financial to achieve what we've already set out in sketch form. Um, my, my vision for this church would be to move it somewhere else <laughs> so that we, we have the, the room to expand, the room to park, but it would have to be near the, the town centre because that's the community we're dealing with. But, um, you know, if we could take over the sports centre or something like that, I'd be delighted. <laughs> I always wanted us to take over the the place that's now a gym that used to be Argos out on the Upper Bristol Road. Um, in fact, we looked at that at one time. Um, it would have been ideal. It was actually one of my buildings as well, but that doesn't matter. It's a bit hideous, but it would have been <laughs> ideal as a church because it's big, it's got plenty of parking. It's fairly near the town centre. Um, if we had endless money, I would move out and buy another building. You know, that's really interesting hearing you say that because um, as somebody who has had an attachment to this building over many years, not only have you been part of this church, but you've also been part of renovating the building and doing work on the building and getting it to the stage where it's at today. I find it really um, interesting and refreshing um, that you're able to say, actually, you know, maybe, maybe the building is not the one for the future. I mean, that's, 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 that's I, I quite think it's dangerous to have ties to the traditions of the past. I'm just delighted that 35 years on from converting this building, we are still making very good use of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm happy with that, but it's time to move on. Interesting. Interesting. And the building itself, I mean, it has challenges. Um, oh, it's got many challenges. One of which, as you all know, is parking. But, uh, yeah, and that's become more of a challenge perhaps in the last few months. And so. it will become more so, I think, yeah. Yeah. 
And in so terms all of, use a park and ride like me. <laughs> and in terms of access and things like that, I mean, it's changed, hasn't it, since when, mm. you, when you did the designs of this building here, the, the, the regulations and the, and, the, and the way we want to use the building has changed Yeah, yeah. Um, since you did that in the 70s and 80s. I mean, if, if, if we were doing what we did here in uh, now, uh, we, we would have obviously put a lift in. That's the main big difference. But yeah wasn't considered necessary because we had this level access at the back. So. Yeah, so things change as you yeah. go through. But yes, mm. really, really interesting hearing your mm. your take on this building and um, and yeah. and, the, and the future of the church. Um, restoring, rebuilding, restructuring, creating. Do you see a link between your work and your faith? So the the the, the work you've done in the past in terms of yeah, most certainly. Um, talked about Hillfields Baptist Church. I've done work on so many churches, quite a few in Bath, did the church centre at St Luke's and church centre at All Saints and many other places. But I think the, the main answer to that question was when I was asked to do work in a church, I would go to their services, go to their meetings. I approached the work with an understanding of Christian ethos, Christian worship, I could quite quickly suss out where the church was and where it wanted to go. So, yeah, my Christian faith was important in the work I did. Um, and I've seen architects do work to churches which are absolute disaster because it's a total lack of understanding of how that church was worshipping, how it was working in the community and things like that. I like the words that were put on this question, restoring, rebuilding, restructuring, and creating. I mean, that's been part of your work on buildings, but it's also been part of your work in terms of community as well, and, and uh, restoring, rebuilding, restructuring, and, and creating well, I think if community. you're working with a, a church, what you're doing is trying to do it in a way that allows all those things to happen. Yeah, yeah. Both physically in terms of buildings, yeah. but also in terms of the community as well. Exactly, yeah. Um, Hayhill was described as a filling station. Um, do you think that's still a relevant title for the church? I hope it's not. Um, uh, no, I hope it's not just a filling station. I hope it's a, a garage and a servicing place and uh, yeah, somewhere where you can have your car serviced and, and keep it there. No, filling station, I would, I would hope not. I think, yes, we are, we are here to encourage people and fill people, but we want them to stay and we want them to get involved and become involved in the community activities and spiritual activities that we, we ourselves are involved in. I don't think it's a place where you can pop in and out and get another tank full of spirituality and then carry on in your way. Excellent. This is a, a comment um, to finish with here. This, uh, this is a comment rather than the question. And I think many people here would want to echo this uh, sentiment this morning. Uh, we want to thank Lyndon for all his wisdom, guidance and contribution over the years. He serves with joy and is a great example to us all. Um, so it's a comment rather than the question, but mm -hmm. I think probably we'd all want to echo that oh, around you. the room yeah. this morning. Um, Lyndon, can I say a big thank you okay. for joining us this morning in this way? Uh, it's just so good. Obviously, we, we see you around the building and you do so much um, on a Sunday and, and other times uh, here and part of your role as a trustee for Oasis Church Bath as well. Um, 
that sometimes we don't know your backstory, so it's been good to hear that story today and to find out a bit more about that um, and your enthusiasm for this church, but also for the, the community around it and um, how you've um, related to that in the years uh, of your story here. And I just just you just love those words that came from that question earlier on, so I'm going to finish with those words again um, and really see your commitment here in the past as, and, and, in, and in the present and the future as being one of restoring, rebuilding, restructuring and creativity. I think I'd like to ask us for a round of applause for Lyndon. Yeah. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.